welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive episode. I have Ryan and Brad on. Ryan is out of town as well today. So we have three remote locations and Brad is in an undisclosed vacation location. Uh, my so Brad, how are you doing? Or, sorry, go ahead. Now, I'm in my secret lair. Uh, so yeah, um, I'm, I'm in a pretty remote place, uh, part of, of the lower peninsula of Michigan. So um, the internet's a little spotty, but I'm using a hotspot. So I think it should be good to go. And I also forgot my microphone. So two things I messed up on. So if the sound is a little off, um, I apologize, but it should be pretty good. Yeah. So don't turn off the show if the sound isn't that good. <laughs> yeah. And I am using headphones. So not the typical mic setup. So we apologize in advance if we get any, uh, uh, if we step on each other's toes here. Yeah. And we're going to be talking Evolus today. It is, I don't know exactly how to pronounce the name, but it's E-V-O-L-U-S. Uh, have you guys heard of this company before or are we all getting introduced to it? All right. First time uh, we're here. First time. And we're going to talk about them. But first, we have to talk about our presenting sponsor for the Sunday show, Potential Multibaggers. Ryan, do you want to talk about them? Sure. I don't have the notes here in front of me, but uh, we've been talking with Chris. We had uh, apparently someone said because of our sales pitch that they signed up and they have not. They said they never thought they would enjoy a service like that. So let him be the story. Let him be the sales pitch. Copy his uh, his habits uh, and sign up. It's you get you're, He's looking for 10x in 10 years. I'm getting that right? Yep. And uh, yeah, it's a comprehensive service. He's giving you updates. Um, you can sign up using our link in the show or you can look up uh, potential multi-baggers on Google. I'm sure you'll find it. Yep. And it's either on Seeking Alpha as well. Find them on Twitter at From Value. I mean, great track record of success, tons of high growth names. If you'd like to play in that part of the market, I mean, it's a great research part of your or addition to your research process. And he does such thorough research that you're never going to feel like you're not understanding the companies you're investing in. All right, Ryan, do you want to introduce Evolus? Yeah, so Evolus is a performance beauty company. So they develop neurotoxins to help people look better and remove frown lines. Um, basically, they have one product, one commercial product, and it's called Yovo, Juvo, Uvo. You guys know how to pronounce we'll that? We'll say Juvo, Juvo. I think okay. one of those two. <laughs> it was FDA cleared in the US in early 2019. Basically, it's an injectable liquid used to temporarily reduce frown lines between the eyebrows. Now, I know this sounds weird to probably most of our uh, listeners, but it's a big market. It's basically a Botox alternative. Um, And Juvo uh, is actually manufactured and supplied by Daewoo, which we'll get into some of the complications there. Uh, And their primary customers is or are the self-pay aesthetics market. So it's physicians uh, or other customers who then administer the injection 
uh, or recommend them to the end customer. And these payments are not reimbursed by third party. So it's not covered by insurance. This is basically people who want to look better. Uh, they're headquartered in, I think it's either new, it's Newport beach, which is, I imagine a perfect spot for Botox headquarters. Um, but I'll get into the history of the company. So they were founded and this is, there's a complicated history and there's a lot of legal, uh, problems. So if I miss anything, Brett, feel free to interrupt me. Uh, but Evolus was founded in 2012 by Scott Canazzaro. He is unassociated with the company now. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why. It sounds like they maybe had a falling out. Uh, and then Juvo's development uh, seemed to have a few rejections early on, but it was first approved in the US in February of 2019 and was commercially launched in May of 2019. Uh, and Evolus actually went public in May of 2018. So they were public for about a year before they had a commercial product. Uh, obviously now they have one. Um, and they hired David Modazetti in 2018 as the CEO. And prior to that, he served as the senior vice president of Allergan or Allergen, uh, which is one of their largest com- competitors. He was there for 13 years. It sounds like the whole founding team actually came over from Allergen. Um, and Allergen is the owner of Botox. And January 30th in 2019, Allergen filed a complaint against Evolus uh, and Daewoo, which I mentioned is the manufacturer and supplier saying that they misappropriated trade secrets. Uh, they settled on it and Brett can get into the kind of the fallout and who's going to have to pay who, but it sounds like the people that came over from Allergen to start this stole whatever the Botox formula was um, and has since settled. Brett, do you want to get into the actual settlement? Yeah. So they tra- it's the same neurotoxin stuff, but they changed it slightly. And that's how they got approval to make it slightly different. But obviously, Allergan sued. And the outcome here, it kind of makes it seem like Juvo was going to lose this lawsuit unless they paid up. So this is what happened. Evolus has to pay $35 million to Allergan and Meditox, which is a partner of Allergan. And Allergan is a part of Advi now. So it's a bit confusing. But either Meditox, uh, which is a tough name to pronounce again, is either a partner with them or owned by Abby. Uh, so they have to pay $35 million to them. And then Evolus pays a dollar per vial royalty to Allergan through September, 2022. They pay Meditox a low double digit royalty for sales outside of the US through 2022. So some steep royalties through 2022. And then the big one that's gonna go on for a long time is a mid single digit royalty on net sales of Juvo from 2022 through 2032. And then on top of it, they had to issue 6.76 million shares of stock to Meditox. So really gutted them. But, you know, hopefully that stuff's all behind them now. And then on March 23rd, 2021, they entered into a settlement agreement with Daewong Pharma, who is their manufacturing. And apparently this worked in favor for Evolus. So Daywong pays them $25.5 million plus legal fees. So they made about it on the hook. They may have made a mistake, you know, since they were the manufacturer or something like that. So they're, um, they're wor- you know, Daywong kind of is going to help out Evolus here and their partners. So they're going to work together. And then Daywong had a convertible note uh, that was owned, but then it got converted to common stock. So all these companies that are in relation with Evolus basically own stock in them now. So you kind of think the incentives are aligned here, but it's a bit confusing. Yeah. So even though 
it sounds like even though they whatever stole the trade secrets and that I guess you'd think that should have killed their business, the settlement makes it sound like almost a vote of confidence that Allergen is like, uh, hey, we'll take your shares. We think you can sell this mm-hmm. uh, or we like the formula or whatever. Obviously, there's there's going to be points of margin hit because of that royalty, but it's almost a vote of confidence. Yep. Yep. It's almost like saying, yeah, the product is better. And the one thing to note when we go over some of the sales here, there was a huge postponement and suspension of the Jubo product, or that might've been intentional on Avalos's, uh, I think there was some huge fine they would have had to pay in the winter here. So some of their revenue and financials are depressed. So when we look at the numbers, the valuation is going to be high, but we'll get into that later. Um, Brad, anything else on that? All covered there? Yeah, all covered. All right, I'll hit industry landscape. Uh, pretty easy. Global, you know, facial injectables market is what I guess is the technical term. That market is valued at about $13.4 billion in 2020 and expecting to grow at an 8.8% rate over the next decade. Majority of the market is expected to be in the neurotoxin stuff that Evolus plays in. And then competitors are Botox, Dysport, Geomin, which is spelled with an X. Uh, but Botox is the market leader. And then apparently there's other companies like Revance Therapeutics that have stuff coming in the pipeline too, but they have to get approved by the FDA. So it might be a few years or might never get approved at all. And then right now, Juvo is only on forehead injections. So they're in a currently small niche of this market. And they estimate that to be a $1.3 billion market opportunity, but growing quickly and expected to hit, according to um, Evolus, about $2.1 billion in like 2023. So growing quickly, uh, Brad, do you wanna hit management and ownership? Yeah, we went into it a little bit, so I'll be, I'll be quick on the management team, but the CEO, not a founder, as we, as we mentioned, is Dave Motazetti, so great last name for, for a public company CEO. Um, former SVP at Allergan, he led the US Medical Aesthetics Division, former manager at Novartis. And then we just talked a little bit about Revance Therapeutics and how it's maybe has a competing product hitting markets eventually if they can get um, FDA approval. And the CFO, Lauren Sil- Silvernail, is the former CFO at Revance. So um, there, there is very relevant experience on, on the team and an and impressive experience. Uh, in terms of ownership, institutions own about 27% of the float, BlackRock, Vanguard, the Russell indexes, all of them, um, that all, all, all of the, the, the institutions you'd expect to be there are there. Insiders own about 17% of the float and Dave Motizetti himself owns about 1% of the company with some fun options packages if he can perform. Um, over the last 12 months, there's been a lot of accumulation of the stock and virtually zero selling. So always good to see that. Yeah. And what does accumulation mean? That just means there's a lot of demand for it or uh, I don't know. So institution or institutional ownership has been rising over the last 12 months. So, so those, the vanguards and the black rocks are, are buying more than they're selling is what I mean there. Okay. That makes sense. That's an interesting dynamic. It's also kind of interesting that uh, a lot of that management team comes from competitors and it's like, even though they, even though they're like competing with these guys, it's, it's like everyone thinks they have the best product because they're not only, uh, the, even though the fine, they got the settlement where they actually still own shares. And then they have senior VPs coming over from Allergen to Evolus. It All of it is like, a, it's a weird vote of confidence. Yeah, there's been some studies 
only small ones that people think this product is better and that's qualitative where they would do like side by side where they use someone use Botox, someone uses Juvo and then qualitatively they think that the Juvo product works better for looks. So that could be a vote of confidence as well. Um, I'll hit valuation quick. It's very simple with them since they're not profitable. So market cap from when I looked is about $735 million. Ticker is EOLS. Um, stock moves around quite a bit. So it's very volatile. So make sure to look up the valuation when you're listening. Enterprise value is very close to market cap. So no need to do any conversions there. EV to sales is about 12.6. And I would note that this is inflated because of the litigation this winter. The company believes it's going to do pretty easily $100 million in sales in 2021 or hit $100 million run rate sometime soon so that EV to sales will come down rather quickly. EV to gross profit of 18.7, not profitable, so we can't get any cash flow or earnings metrics. And then they have about 5.5 million in options and RSUs outstanding versus I believe the stock count is like in the 50 or 60 million range. So there's some dilution coming. Um, expect the shares to continually get diluted over time. Yeah, it's 54.1 million shares outstanding as of the end of last quarter, I believe. Um, and I'll go through some of the Q1 numbers, although remember there was that sort of holdback on sales. Um, so take it with a grain of salt, but they had 12.2 million in revenue in the first quarter. That was growing 16% year over year. So still strong demand. Uh, Non-GAAP gross margin is about 60%. If you're looking at their GAAP gross margin, they had a $25 million litigation boost from day one, uh, which makes it look like 250% gross margins. Not so sustainable. Very, yeah, very sustainable, I was going to say. Uh, but they had 8 million in operating income for the quarter, although that included the $25 million settlement. If you excluded that, um, it was less than 100, it was negative 100% gross margins more than, or even worse. Um, but it's hard to say, it's hard to kind of decipher how much of that was litigation expenses, how much they were kind of peeling back because they had a lot of cash on hand. So they obviously knew what their liquidity position was like. And they also were in kind of a tough time because sales were depressed almost intentionally. So I, I guess pay a lot of attention to management commentary and guidance. Uh, they guided saying that they're going to reach a $100 million revenue run rate in Q2. Uh, so they think it's going to accelerate now that the settlement's behind them. Um, and they also had an all-time high reorder rate of 73%. Um, that's grown every single quarter since Juvo was announced uh, or commercialized. So pretty impressive there. It, it sounds like there's a lot of people that are happy with the product. Yep, agreed. Brad, you want to hit balance sheet? Yeah, the company has about 22 million in cash on hand versus 102 million year over year. So litigation and, and that kind of drama is, is certainly um, showing up as well as, as the cash burn from their operations. They did raise another 85.5 million from a secondary in, in April to fund Juval growth. I'm sorry if I'm mis mispronouncing that. So we, may be, we may all be mispronouncing it. <laughs> someone is laughing at us right now. We, we talked about that $25 million, um, in, in supplier receivables. They, they did pay off a $74 million term loan last year. So they have, about, they have zero, um, zero interest expense, which is nice. And then, but they have that $38 million in contingent royalties to be paid to founders. Pretty, pretty complicated balance sheet, um, to be honest. Uh, but they, they did burn through $8 million in cash from operations. 
last quarter. So there's not a ton of wiggle room and there's not a ton of time for them to get through this, this drama and get through this noise before they are going to have to, to raise some more cash. Um, even, even with that $85 million secondary. Yeah. We're going to need to see them hit that operating inflection and get the positive cash flow from operations. Even if that is like X, you know, stock comp or whatever it is. And if they don't, they're going to have to raise some more money. So that's something that investors should probably look after. Um, anything else, guys, before we get the ad break, Ryan? Yeah, I'd add that, I mean, that 38, this is why I say that there was obviously a fallout between, uh, I'm blanking on the founder's name, and Evolus, because he was gone in 2018, and now they've got a $38 million potential contingent royalty to be paid back to him. Um, I'm not sure who the other founders were, but they've been sort of, they've kind of kept it close to the vest about their founding story. I can't even, I mean, I had trouble. Brad was saying it was like a treasure hunt, so... Yeah, uh, they were, it, it felt like keeping information uh, undisclosed. Yeah, something definitely happened. All right, let's pause. We'll take a quick ad break and get back to more stuff on Evolus. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Next up, we're going to hit any anecdotal evidence, customer stories. I don't think we have customer stories here. Um, yeah, no nothing. judging, but I don't think we do. Uh, Ryan, or sorry, Brad, you want to go first too? Not nothing for me. Uh, hopefully, I I will not have a lot of experience with these products <laughs> in the future. But I guess we'll see. Um, never say never. Yeah, Ryan. Well, I didn't even know. I thought Botox was uh, like a type of procedure. I didn't know that it was an actual product. Um, which I guess is good because it's almost like the uh, the Kleenex dilemma. Like Kleenex, people don't know that it's an actual product, like an actual brand. Yeah. Uh, and so they don't really care what kind of Kleenex you give them. So they're probably going and they're like, oh, I'd like to get some sort of facial injection, whatever you recommend. They might think it's Botox and it's, it's actually Juvo. Yeah. I think anecdotally, the projections of the, for the growth of the industry definitely bring true. You know, a lot of times when we bring in that research and that's kind of my job. So I'm really looking at this stuff. A lot of it is just projections. And some of the times, basically every industry people can project is going to grow at 5%. And that's obviously not going to be true because of, you know, on average, it's going to be around GDP, but I think it rings true here. And then there's some reviews online. There's someone on Twitter. Uh, his name is Eddie Torrenti. Uh, he covers Evolus a lot. And he said, just had a meeting with an owner of a very prominent skin Institute where people fly to from all over the U S so like a high profile place. He said, business is absolutely booming. And this is on June 8th. And the person used the term ABA and which means anyone but Allergan. So I think that's a good sign for Juvo uh, and taking market share. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know there was so much resentment towards Botox. I think they really gouge people or they have on pricing. So the doctors aren't getting uh, much of the margin. And with Juvo, the unit economics change uh, for the doctor. So that could be an advantage. All right, let's move into future growth opportunities. Brad, what are your thoughts here? Yeah. Uh, so they have five 
five to 10 years, I couldn't find the exact date of, of when this patent is going to expire and when we can start to see generics hitting the market. Um, if, if it is, but like we're hearing from, from these anecdote, anecdotes better than other products, um, that, then that, 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 could, <laughs> that could be an issue. So, so future growth opportunities would, would have to be developing new products. This isn't really a pressing concern, but it will be at, at some point. Um, and, and right now they're spending virtually nothing on R&D uh, so that will have to change, obviously, if they're going to put something else in the pipeline and get something else through FDA uh, approvals. And in five to 10 years, that will probably be necessary for this company to continue succeeding. Yeah, it's a good point. They can, you know, maybe juice margins now. And it seems like the way they operate where they're basically just the middleman from the manufacturer to uh, the doctors. And what's interesting is that Daywong actually has a fixed price they're forced to sell to Juvo at. And if Juvo hits volume, they have an exclusive license with them until 2023. And that goes another three years. So they really have a fixed price if they hit their quotas and that can give them some pricing power. But for long-term sustainability of the business, they're gonna have to hit that R&D. You're definitely right. Um, Ryan, what are your thoughts on future growth opportunities? Uh, approval abroad, so uh, particularly in Europe and Canada, they talk about this in their 10K, and so they just had their phase three testing on safety and efficacy in both these areas. Uh, so something, I'm not quite sure how many different phases of testing there are or what sort of uh, stage they're at, uh, but they said, that they're going to use a distribution partner in Canada, which I think is probably the right strategy for international sales, even if it means sacrificing a few points of margin uh, in the process. I think having success there volume-wise is more important than maximizing profits. Yeah, and I think they have to. I read in the 10K or one of the things, one of the filings that they only have 119 employees. So it's really a light operation and they're gonna outsource a lot of that stuff. Um, I'll hit my future growth opportunity. I really just have the tailwind of the industry. So, you know, this might seem kind of, I don't know, dark or whatever, but from an investment perspective, you kind of have to look at how the world's moving and like the proliferation of, you know, digital filters and stuff like that. It's really causing a lot of people, whether for right or wrong, to have irrational expectations of what their skin should look like. And that's, I think that can increase demand for products like this. So I think that could be a huge growth opportunity over the next decade. We're really seeing the, um, you know, these filters from Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, kind of going to basically every, everybody uses them now. So I think that could help. I think that could help with the bull case. I mean, Um, yeah, wanting to, wanting to look good on social media is a very real driving trend for this business, I imagine. Yeah, especially when people look good on social media and then want to replicate that in real life. You know, that can be a bull case as well. Um, All right, let's move into highlights and lowlights. Brad, what do you got here? For highlights, so it looks like they do have a a decent product that's selling um, pretty well at at the moment. I mean, we have those those stories about it, it being maybe a a little more effective than substitutes that Brad was going over and, and, and also some some information on reimbursements maybe being a little more favorable. Um, so, so maybe they are building some some value there in, in a in an industry where, where there are maybe some similar products. But but for low light, um, if you couldn't tell already, this is pretty far outside my circle of competence. Um, I, I don't generally invest in biotech, um, so that in its own right makes me hesitant. And then also pairing that with 
zero dollars spent on R&D, which, which I mentioned a little earlier, that, that's worrying. I know they have years until they're going to need other products to, to support growth, but it takes years for, for products to, to get pushed through FDA approval processes and, and they're not spending anything right now. So that was a little concerning. And maybe that's just because I don't know a lot about the industry and that's totally normal and totally fine. But to me, that was a little, little off. Yeah, we should note here that when you're listening to these shows and really you should be thinking about this in general, these aren't show like we're not given any sort of recommendations here. We're really just turning over the rocks ourselves, trying to identify it. We might say, all right, we don't know anything. And please, like anything we say good about this company, please do not take that as, as a recommendation. We do not know this industry that well. Ryan, do you want to hit your highlights on the lights? Yeah, I think the industry tailwinds are probably the most exciting or most compelling part. The fact that the settlement's kind of behind them. Uh, I, I think the industry itself is probably what's driving the the majority of the bull thesis. Uh, there's also no reimbursement risk thanks to the cash pay model, uh, as opposed to like waiting for third-party providers like insurance companies. Uh, and then reorder rates have grown every quarter since approval. So that's uh, valid validation of the product a bit. Um, low lights for me, there's obviously approval risk abroad. Um, it's been approved here by the FDA. So, uh, and it sounds like they're making headway uh, internationally. So I think they'll be all right. Uh, there's also the susceptibility to physician preferences. So if there's some sort of, it's hard to know what the relationships are like between some physicians and maybe allergen, there might be some backdoor agreements or something like that. I don't totally understand those relationships. So, Or not uh, even backdoor exclusive, could be exclusive. Yeah, uh, so there's that risk as well. And then just, I mean, there's obviously huge risk having it be a single product company. Obviously that kind of builds more upside as well, but you have to understand that one product, if something goes wrong, that that's the whole business. Yeah, those are good points. I'll hit my highlights. I think industry as well, huge tailwind here. The unit economics are great, especially once most of the kickbacks end by 2022. And they have 68% gross margin, or at least they're guiding for that to get back to about 65 to 70% once they just hit that single digit royalty. And there's not much operating expenses needed outside of the R&D spend that might increase like Brad was mentioning. So you could look at really strong cash generation here. And I do like the recurring nature of, and again, I'm saying this from an investment perspective, once someone starts, they can't really stop. And that it leads to really consistent customer growth. And then they also have this loyalty program, which seems very smart, already at 160,000 clients, giving people rewards, trying to get them to switch, stuff like that. Ryan? Yeah, I mean, and if you're looking at the general and administrative expenses from the past year, that's pretty much, I think, all their operating expenses. Some of that might have been lawyers. Um, and so it might not be exactly what you're going to see every year forthcoming. It, production costs are pretty much offloaded to day one. So it's, it's all offloaded to day one. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a high margin business. Uh, single digit royalty costs isn't too crazy. Yeah. And I remember too that they have fixed cost, or sorry, they buy from day one at a fixed price. So basically they decide what their margins are. That is That can be extremely lucrative. Now there might be pricing pressure because they don't wanna, their whole thing is their lower cost than Botox. So there's definitely a ceiling there, but 
it just shows that they're not going to be hamstrung by day one from that contract. Um, I'll hit lowlights though. We mentioned that they basically copied Botox. I was trying to look at, you know, in the 10 K they had the definition of what it was. And I was like, this is the same definition they list for Botox just has maybe some different molecules or different number of molecules. And it's like, is it really that different? Uh, but maybe it is. And that is above my pay grade. So it could be actually different. So the reason that's a low light for me is that I management, does that make them a bit shady? Maybe, you know, I, that makes me lose a little bit of confidence in the management. And then one thing is there's been some stuff talked on conference calls, people asking about them, the analysts, and there could be some competitors coming down the line. And that's something you can't really predict. So if the marketplace gets crowded, it might make it a tougher industry to operate in. So that, that's kind of the two concerns I had. But let's move on to hypothetical bull and bear cases. Brad, what are you thinking for your bull case? What needs to go right here for the stock to do well? Yeah. So, so Juval, so my bull case is Juval, um, is a blockbuster drug. Uh, they, they overcome all of these legal issues and, and it's more so noise than, than structural or, or systemic. And, and it, and it starts really generating cash and then they can use this cash to transform into a product company that, that we were kind of mentioning before in, into more of a portfolio company, um, without having to raise uh, crazy amounts of debt or, or equity in the process. So, Bull case, this does really well, and and that success allows them to create optionality for shareholders and drive value. All right, Ryan. Yeah, uh, like Brad said, the drug is a hit, um, or the injectable liquid is a hit. Uh, physicians prefer it, customers prefer it, um, and there's double-digit uh, growth of the facial injectables market at large annually. That would be, there is a reason to believe that this could be a huge cash cow for them and then potentially diversify into other types of injectables. Um, yeah, there's there's a real scenario where Juvo becomes a hugely uh, large cash generative business on its own or product on its own uh, and gives shareholders good returns. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the same boat. I mean, with the litigation behind them now, and it's pretty rock solid that it's going to be behind them because all these companies own stakes in Avalos now, all the ones that would be angry at them. The green light there is for rapid adoption. And you'd have to expect with the market cap that this leads to hundreds of millions in revenue from this product, which is a huge growth from here. But they are, they are expecting to get $100 million in annual revenue fairly soon. And if you look at that, so say like you have... 30 million in, or sorry, 300 million in revenue, you could see 20%, 25% profit margins, free cash flow margins. That's what, 60, 70 million in cash generation. I mean, if you look at that versus the current market cap, that's pretty solid. And if you look at the recurring nature of it, you could see that being very consistent, but it's not there yet. So well, that leads us into the bear cases. Brad, what do you, what do you think could go wrong here? Or, or, you know, why would the stock not perform well? So if, if they get arrogant, I guess, to, to use a verb, um, and, and there's somebody who kind of comes along and before this patent expiration date um, approaches can tweak molecules or number of molecules or, or change something, um, a change of fine detail and be able to release commercially a competing product that has better efficacy and costs less money or i mean that's the worst case scenario and if that happens um 
I, yeah, I, it, it will not be fun times for this company. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that's going to happen because again, I am not a biotech expert, but that is, that is the bear case I see. Yeah. It seems like the likelihood of that is low, but with these, you know, it might be five years from now, something like that. There is that risk of disruption from someone just inventing something. And that's the difficult thing about this industry is that's really, really difficult to predict. Uh, but Ryan, what are your thoughts? What could go wrong here? What's your hypothetical bear case? I mean, there's definitely uh, a, a low bear case. There's not, I would not say this is a high margin of safety investment, especially considering that it's, uh, there's so much single product risk. And that's not even like if something happens to their product specifically, but if a competitor like Brad's head comes along and is able to do what they do or, you know, be the Juvo to their Juvo, uh, that's, that's detrimental to their entire business. Um, so I think product diversification down the road would probably be helpful uh, and provide a little more margin of safety. But right now, yeah, they are hinging on that one product to be a success. Yeah. And this bear case, you know, we mentioned it a few times, the likelihood of it happening, at least in the near term, seems extremely low, but it's still there. And there's always a chance for it. Feels like the whole industry is betting on Juvo at this point. Since they bought shares, since uh, management has come over from Allergen, people are looking for an alternative to Botox. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like the writing's on the wall for it to be successful. But yeah, obviously, always risk with single product. Yeah, yeah, and I'll say my. I mean, uh, you know, marketplace can become more crowded. It's not, you know, that I mentioned that before. I mean, that's just something that could happen, and you know, the brand isn't there. It's not like this is all just riding on someone's brand being better. And that can just make it tough where someone gives a better deal to doctors, stuff like that. And then there also is this expectation that the industry is primed for growth. And I do believe that is correct. But if it isn't, then there's a lower ceiling here. And I don't know, there could be something where huge backlash, it could be like vaping, where it turns into kind of a sin stock and people are like, no, no, we don't want our country doing this or whatever, for whatever reason you know, people hate it. And there is, you know, there's a huge backlash. That is a risk here with this kind of, I don't know if this is a sin stock. It's maybe like a, like a half and half, but. I'd say I, we're going more the other way right now. Oh, for sure. I don't think that's a high likelihood of happening as well, but it's just something to consider. Yeah. I mean, the, the chance that happening seems very, very low, but I don't know. Um, all, right, all right. More or less interested, Brad, we'll kick it off with you. Uh, so less interested for me, and and I have to um, give context to that. I mean, if this was Moderna or some incredible, um, groundbreaking, disruptive company that was selling at a gigantic discount, I still would not be interested in the company because I I just don't have a lot of comfort and a lot of knowledge on the industry and the space. Um, and as I say, less interested. There's a lot to like about this company and and reasons to be excited about it. I, I think the biggest reason is that all of these competing um, products are, are now have now have skin in the game for Juval succeeding, like like Ryan and Brett were talking about. But for me, less interested. Just I, I um, need need to stay focused on what I know best, and this is not that. All right, Ryan. I'm gonna go less interested. Um, I mean, on any investment thesis, competitive landscape is huge, uh, and I don't quite understand this one that well. I don't know what the risks could be necessarily. I also have. Uh, like a bad feeling in my stomach about management. Um, maybe it's because of the fallout with the founding team. Maybe it's because 
people are coming over from competitors, whatever it is. Uh, and then just the litigation and stuff feels like it was ripped off and like chance to catch lightning in a bottle almost. It gives me a, a bit of a queasy feeling. Um, I'm going to go more interested. You know, you guys said that it's hard to understand. Yeah. You know, I get it's a healthcare thing, but within the healthcare industry, I think this is something that's fairly easy to understand. There's only a few products out there. Yeah. There could be some, you know, events happening from FDA approval, but I'm definitely more interested on that point. The only thing keeping me at this point in time is like what Ryan said, the management is tough to get around. I worry about their integrity and that's important. So that would probably keep me out for now, but I do think this is very promising industry tailwind, high margins, regulatory capture. There's a lot to like here. Um, all right. That's going to do it for this episode, but we have stock for next week. Ryan, what do you got for us? I'm going Roku. I know Brett might not be wow. excited. About that. Wow. Ooh. Might be a little basic, but Bland. Uh, I want to revisit it. Uh, it's been a while since I've looked at the company. I used to be a shareholder. Uh, I think Brett, you and I both did. Brad, you might be one, uh, but love the CEO. So going to take another look at it. Yeah, Brad, you own it, right? Or no? I do not. I own I own Trade Desk. Trade Desk. Uh, I, I love Trade Desk very much. But I mean, perfect timing. Google just came out with that announcement today, delaying uh, their their cookie ban or their third party cookie ban by two years. So great timing on Roku. That'll be that'll be exciting to dig into. Yeah, they're definitely. You know, I think we probably covered them like last spring or something like that. But they're a fast moving company, and it's a fun industry to look at. They're trying to kind of disrupt the cable bundle, so should be fun. Um, all right. That's going to do it for this episode. Make sure, as always, check out Potential Multibaggers. Great service. We love Chris over there doing great work. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.